Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I'm so happy to be joined today by Michelle Felder, a psychotherapist and parenting coach with over 20 years of experience working with children, families, and educators. She's the founder and CEO of Parenting Pathfinders, which provides services to parents and caregivers with the goal of helping them effectively navigate challenges of raising children and supporting their emotional and mental health. Michelle, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Hi, good afternoon, Corey. It's so wonderful to be here with you today. Thank you. It's great to be here with you as well. And for me personally, it combines something that's just really, really great that I love. I love the conversations around mental health because they are very often not had, whether it be based on stigma, social stereotypes, whatever they are. And um, of course, children. I mean, you know, we all... It seems cliche to say they're the they're the future, but it's really it's but really they true. Are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they really are, and and you and you have that like that window where it can you can really mess it up if you're not careful. I mean, to be quite honest, but so I love the work that you're doing, and I want to talk first about something that attracted us to your work, which is this correlation you make between how you lead in the world is aligned in many cases with how you lead at home. Mm-hmm. sort of like begins there. So share a little bit about that, I guess, that philosophy of like, you know, to lead in the world, you have to begin at home. Yeah, I really believe that as humans, if we're going to bring our best selves to the world, to our family, we have to really start with ourselves. And it really does start at home. And I want to check in with something you said about being able to like mess up, right? None of us are perfect. Parenting isn't supposed to be perfect. We don't even know what true, we're doing. True, and true. You're, you know what you're, you're but, it, but I think what you're saying is so important, how it is important to be conscious of the impact that we're having and how we're impacting our children. And, you know, the the way that we parent, the way that we respond to them, that's going to really guide who they are as children and as grownups. And so there's always work to be done. There's always growth that we can do. And there's always learning. And there's always unlearning that has to happen. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting uh, that you say that because I remember a recent conversation with my own mother that was random. And she just out of nowhere, like a couple of years ago, she goes, you know, remember the time XYZ and I reacted this way when you were young yeah. and I did, you know. She said, you know, I would do that differently now if I had the opportunity. And I thought it was a profound moment because it really supports what you just said. Like, there's no book that comes along with the baby when it comes out. (laughs) There's no book. We're all figuring it out. We're all doing our best. And there's so much information that we get. And I really encourage folks to just be in tune with your child and trust your gut. And I Mm. love what your mom did because we can't always go back. We can't always say, you know, in thinking about that, I wish I had done it differently. And that is an incredibly powerful experience for a child to have their grown up, to have their caregiver come back and say, I wish I did it differently. And that is such a wonderful example for how they can show up in the world, how they can be accountable for their actions, how they can say, you know what, I thought about this and I wish I did it differently. And we all have it in us. We have the capacity to go back and to say, 
to notice what we did, to reflect on the impact and to even say, you know, I wish I had done that a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think there's the correlation too between how you lead in the world, because it doesn't have to be, we're talking about parenting, but one of the hardest things for us to do as humans is to say, I was wrong. I should have done differently. Uh, you know, that's one of the biggest struggles I think often with people is that ability to sort of um, own up to things. And yeah, that can be you know, very hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm working that, on it. You know, <laughs> right? <It's a> con- <laughs> Listen, we are always works in progress, right? And there isn't sort of this destination where we get it and we've reached this sort of pinnacle of perfection. It's about thinking about the impact of our choices, reflecting on it, and being willing to say that. And it is hard to go back and say, you know, I messed up. I wish I'd done it differently. Um, mm-hmm. But we want our kids to be able to do that, right? We want our kids to be okay with making mistakes. We're not supposed to get this thing called life perfectly. And it really is about the journey. And how that ties into building leaders in general, because you're, if you're raising children, you're, you're building future leaders. And so... The CEOs and successful people I've spoken to and I have guests on this show, uh, and they may be famous, they may be just everyday people who are doing great things, but there is this sort of plethora of common denominators that I find. And one of them is often the ability to be accountable, the self-accountability. So that's a, that's a strong trait to, to, to uh, bestow into children, you know, the idea that you have to be accountable for actions, accountable for your words. And uh, I think that's a mark. That's a mark that's missed sometimes with children's uh, upbringing, that that accountability early on. It can be right, and there, and if you notice that it's something that perhaps hasn't been instilled, hasn't been a habit, hasn't been a pattern in your thinking or interaction with your child, you can always start. Right? There's always the ability to restart. And you know, when it comes to helping children to be accountable for their actions, a lot of it is helping them to really slow down and to really think about and reflect on the impact of their choices. You mm-hmm. know, so what? How did that make someone else feel when you did that? You know, how would it feel to you? if that happened to you. And really in thinking about, you know, what happened, what happened next, and how can we make this right? And it's really about slowing down and going through a really intentional process of reflecting and to getting in touch with emotions and to making space for emotions to be okay. Because I think part of what can make accountability hard is that feeling of it's not okay to get it right. Mm. It's not okay to get it wrong. I'm sorry, that I have to get it right, right? right? And so- when you're being accountable, you're saying, I didn't get it right. And to have that instilled in a child really young, it can be really powerful and helping them to be okay with messing up and making mistakes and knowing that regardless, they're still going to be loved. They're still going to be valued. And that can never change, right? Your love for them and your appreciation of them isn't dependent on their accomplishments and really focusing on their effort, but really helping them to also think about really intentionally the impact of their choices and how other people are affected by that. Mm. And giving them the language too, right? The language to say, I'm sorry, the language to say, and authentically, right? I, I think sometimes we can tell kids to say you're sorry without, and it's just words, right? Without actually being connected to the feeling of regret or the why, or right? It's not genuine. It just kind of becomes automatic. And so really taking time to really think about what's the impact that that had? How did that make someone feel? And what is sort of the consequence of your choice? Mm. And with parenting pathfinders, is it more like 
an organization where families reach out to you or they contact you, like, uh, you know, as a, a concerned family, for example, has issues with a child they want to work out and they say, well, this is my avenue. Is that how it works? Yeah, it works in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's families and parents and caregivers. Some, I also do a lot of work with schools, working with their family communities, bringing workshops and one-on-one coaching to different school communities. But oftentimes it is, I've even had, you know, grandparents reach out, people that are nannies and babysitters saying, I'm working with this child and this is really hard. And how can I come up with different strategies? How can I approach these, you know, tough moments differently? And so it comes from different places. Really all parents and caregivers, I've had coaches that I've worked with, you know, just thinking about their soccer team and how can they, you know, respond to big emotions on the field more effectively and really helping them to, you know, unpack the experience, think about what are the feelings that this child is communicating through their behavior? Because all behavior is a form of communication. And so when we can look past the behavior and think about what the feeling is underneath, we can really, really help kids um, more effectively. Yeah. And that's an important call out too, because, you know, parenting is just one aspect of a child's development. You just mentioned there's other people in society who your kid will interact with, right? Um, Teachers, obviously, coaches. And so it's almost like there's a call for other people who are not necessarily parents to get on the bandwagon with this. If you are someone who interacts with young people, like, it's, it's not like it's, this is not just a parenting thing. No, it's all. a human interaction thing. And it's valuing children as whole people, right? We're not waiting for them to grow up and become humans. They are whole people already. And so even thinking about your neighbor, a stranger, when you even going to a store and you see a child and they make eye contact with you. Are you looking away? Are you saying hi and keeping it moving? Are you, what are you doing? Are you helping kids to feel seen in the world? And, you know, and how we're interacting with, you know, a child on an elevator, a child in a store, really being intentional about our interactions with children is so powerful because we're all models, right? As we're moving through the world, we are modeling human interaction. We're modeling how to take care of each other. We're modeling how to speak respectfully. We're modeling saying good morning to your neighbor, Right? right. And so all of these are lessons. There's always these little lessons that are going on for kids as we're moving through the world. Because mm-hmm. they will like imitate exactly what is being shown to them, what they're hearing. I can remember some really funny things as a as a kid going to school and repeating something that I shouldn't have because I heard it at home, right? From but you know, being in grown folks' business, as they say. Sure. <laughs> and my mom was like, honey, now there's some things that I talk to you about because you're a mature kid and I talk to you like a real person. Everybody's not ready for that. So you can't go to school and talk about what you and I talk about because my mother raised me very, uh, I was an only child. So I had a very, um, her, her approach was I'm not going to use euphemisms and weird, you know, language. I'm going to tell my child what exactly he's asking me as much as I think he can understand. And so I think it, for me, it sparked more of an intellectual childhood growing up and reading books that were a bit more advanced, et cetera. But I imitated what I saw. She was in education, so I kind of reciprocated that, right? But um, I've we've all seen the the opposite. What happens when that's not fostered at home, and those kinds of things are are not happening? So I do wonder. With that said, what kind of um, I guess concerns if you have a couple or one or two that are kind of common that you get from parents when they're coming to you to say, "Hey, I need some assistance." Is there one one or two things that are kind of you find are repetitive? With parents. Yeah, I think that 
parents at the end of the day, they just want what's best for their child and they want to be sure that their kid is okay. And so a lot of it is helping parents to understand things that fall within the typical range of child development, right? And so when kids are having really big feelings, sometimes parents can be, and listen, there are times when a a child's emotions are, you know, there may be mental health concerns and maybe other developmental concerns. All of those things are very possible. But when something that I see really happening a lot with parents is, is this a typical thing that should be happening with kids? They're having big feelings. What do I do? You know, and I don't know what to do. And oftentimes I find that when parents, caregivers, anybody doesn't do something, doesn't respond, it's not because they don't want to, it's because they don't know how. And so a lot of the work that I do with parents and caregivers is also about helping them to build the language of curiosity, building language of empathy, building language of compassion, and also having compassion for themselves is key too. But really something that I notice with parents and caregivers is just wondering, like, is, is, is this okay? Should this be happening? And so we talk a lot about, you know, child development and the things to expect. And I find that there can be a lot of ease that folks find when they understand that, yeah, Children aren't, their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet. They're not going to be able to control their impulses. They are going to do the same thing over again, even though you told them they're not supposed to do it, even though they know that they're not supposed to do it, it's still going to happen again because they're learning. And this is all just how kids learn and it is to be expected. And I think that when there are things that we can know are to be expected, it can bring a lot of relief through the way. But, and I think that parents also are, they want to be sure that they're getting it right. I'm using big air quotes when I say right, but because they just want what's best. And they're also, there's a big concern also about sort of the impact as we're coming out of, you know, COVID and the pandemic and Mm. wondering what the social and emotional impact of that has been on their children and, and how to help, you know, and so really thinking about how to foster relationships. And a lot of kids are out of practice when it comes to social skills and expressing emotions. And so helping them to find that practice and being patient and understanding along the way. Yeah. And I know um, you speak in that same area, you speak about just having those meaningful conversations and that could end up being about differences or, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea about maintaining healthy boundaries, for example. But sometimes I think parents have a difficulty with speaking to kids too, because they don't really, as you just mentioned before, they don't really look at them as actually being, I don't want to use the term little adults. Like that could be, that's always like a misconstrued because they're not adults, right? They're but absolutely just, not. <laughs> no, not at all. But you just gave a very clinical reason as to why, you know, because of the brain development and all that. So I think there's also a call there in general for what you're saying, society as a whole, not just parenting, to understand that about children. And it's also funny because it's synonymous with all of us. Like we all were a child at one point, so mm-hmm. it shouldn't be too foreign of a concept. Yeah, and I think it's helpful to just try to remember what it was like for you when you were a child, you know, what your experience was, what it was like for you when you had questions and would adults answer those questions? Would they answer them honestly? I firmly believe that there is an age-appropriate way to talk about any topic. 
And so when kids come to us with their questions, it's so important for us to be honest and answer them clearly. I, you know, I love how you were saying that um, your mom would explain things to you with, you know, actual the words for body parts or the words for whatever, just being really clear and honest about it. Yeah, right, yeah, right. And then I went things. on and I finished playing with my Legos, you know, like yeah, she exactly. told me, she took the mystery out of it. I was like, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think often there's a fear that if we talk to kids about these things, they're going to go do things or it's too much for them. But actually, it's it really does lay a really important foundation of honesty and open communication. And they know that if they come to you with their questions, they're going to get an honest answer. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're more likely to come to you than to Google it or ask their friend or you know, whatever, they know that they can come to you. And also not knowing the answer to something is perfectly fine saying, you know, I actually, that's a great question. And I'm so glad you asked me that. I actually don't know the answer, but I'm going to go figure it out and I'm going to get back to you soon. And then being Mm. sure that you do get back to them with that honest answer. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I think one of the great examples recently I had to, I interviewed a woman named Dana Marlowe and Dana Marlowe is, um, very known now for having started a organization that provides uh, feminine hygiene products and undergarments to homeless women, women who are in shelters or women who are just refugees, anyone who's in that situation, because that segment of homeless relief is often overlooked when it comes to that component. But she has, uh, I think she says she has two boys, she has sons. And so her sons are very familiar with her work. They're young. And they were having reproduction class conversation. And the teacher said, you know, does anyone know what a period is? And the, the boy, her son raised his hand. Yes, I do. And, <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah, I actually do. And she, and the teacher prepared herself for like some sort of obnoxious, like boy answer, maybe, you know, that she did. And he very academically explained what, what it is and how often he felt he thinks it occurs in women. And it was, just, but he was like 11. And the teacher was dumbfounded, but I thought that was fascinating because as we just talked about, when it comes to conversations that are, they're not difficult. I think adults are making them difficult by being overly protective of how they're addressing things. So that's a great thing to call out. And being, you know, you have to be mindful of the language you use and the amount of information that you offer, right? And there, and it's also about planting seeds, right? Even in thinking of a conversation about sex and the body and reproduction and changes, all of these things. It's not one sit down conversation that you want to have. You want to plant these seeds from the time you're changing their diaper and you're talking about body parts and then they get a little bit older and you talk a little bit more and then you ask other questions and you answer those questions honestly. And then you build on that. It's about building. It's not, you know, I think it's so helpful to not think of these things as, okay, I have to have this one talk about this, about, you know, even just using that example, talking about periods, right? It's, it's, it's an ongoing conversation. And again, it's creating an environment where questions can be asked and where questions are answered honestly and where, and you know, kids can handle so much more than we often give them credit for. Right? They can handle the information and we have to be mindful of how much we're giving, right? But also being responsive, you know, if a child feels, looks like they're checking out or that it's too much or that's okay, being responsive to that, but not being afraid to talk to them about things and answering their questions and seeing what's on their mind. What do they want to mm-hmm. know about? And then yeah. going from there, always starting where they're at. Yeah. I, and I think that's, a key to building more empathetic adults if you start there. So they'll understand how the world around them is not necessarily looking like them or having the same philosophies as them. It sort of prepares them. That's why I'm a little concerned now. And I wonder what you think about this sort of concerted effort 
and uh, you know, without getting specific about locations in America or which governor may be implementing them. But there are some aspects um, right now in education where there's an effort to suppress information. And I wonder what you think about the fact that there's some parents who are actually leading that movement against information. But on the other side, there's parents who they may want their kids to hear that information. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of this weird balance of like, what, how does one group get to sort of say what I, what my kid gets to understand or learn about? So it seems one-sided. Do you have a concern about how that might be impacting children's development when they're being sheltered from important conversations? Yeah, I think that it really goes back to the power that parents and caregivers have at home and what goes on in your home and the conversations you have and how questions are encouraged and they're answered honestly and talking about different perspectives and different viewpoints and even being clear, you know, there are some schools, some people, some places, some whatever, where they may think that this isn't something that's okay to talk about. But I want you to know that in our home, this is what we think. And in our home, it's okay for us to ask these questions and to have these conversations. And there are people that think differently, you know, and it's, but it's okay. I think having, letting kids know there is another side. There are people that think differently. There are people that believe different things, but this is what we believe in our home. And this is what we want you to know because it's important to us that you know this information. Yeah. And also your children, that's a great point too, because your children at that age, you're sending them out into the world and it's reflective of the family. You know, I mean, you can have the best behaved child or, or the reciprocal at the end of the day, it's sort of a reflection of what you're doing at home because you're responsible for that development of those kids. And so I think, um, you know, that's tricky too, because parents are sometimes scrutinized for how, how that goes and they may be trying their best, but a kid is going to do sometimes what they, you know, what they want to do. So I guess you really can't police it 100%. Absolutely. And there's also so many things that impact children. So it's not, you know, you you can have a parent that is responding with intention and is being really conscious of how they're parenting. And a child may be wired differently and may be wired to have more intense reactions and just may be more sensitive to sensory stimuli, you know, all of these different things. And there's also the impact of other folks that are important people in their life and the things that they're seeing and the things that they're hearing or overhearing or questions that they may have. Is there grief or loss that they're still trying to wrestle with or process? Because kids process things very differently and at a different pace than, you know, grownups do. And so there's a lot that's going on. And so I want to be sure that we don't, it's not, I think that there can be a lot of you know, pressure put on parents. And I think that there can be blame that can be put on parents. Oh, well, you're, you know, your child is having this hard time, so you must be doing something wrong. And that it's not so linear. And I want us to be really, you know, sure to think about all of the things that impact children. And yes, parents are powerful examples and what they do and how they treat their children and how they respond to them has such a huge impact. But there are so many other factors that are going on and things to consider as well. Hmm. Well, as far as things to consider, I do wonder, how do you do the work that you do in a world that we live in now where there's a seemingly, I mean, for me, it's the most maybe tumultuous, divisive time that I can recall, really, 
probably since I've been alive. I mean, it's, it's really a different, a different thing going on right now in America and in the world. So how does that impact this, I guess, ability to give parents, I guess, confidence to navigate through all that in a world that's really seemingly growing more and more adverse? Yeah, I think a lot of it starts with self-compassion and helping parents and caregivers to start with being kind to themselves and recognizing that what is going on is hard. The world is hard and it is complicated and it's scary in a lot of ways. And to think about sending children into whether it's views that are harmful, whether it's systems of oppression, whether it's pollution, whether all of these different things, it can be really scary. And so starting with yourself and just remembering like this moment feels hard. It feels scary to have to send my child out into this world, Mm. but I am doing the best that I can and I am showing them all the love that I can and I am okay and I have what it takes to get through this. So it's really starting with you and really centering yourself and getting more sort of aware of your emotional experience. And then it's reminding folks that they can only do what they can with what they can, right? And you can't control all of these other things, but what you can do is you can provide the most consistent, most nurturing environment for your child that you can. So how can you do that? What is within your control, right? What is within your power to make different or to make more stable or comfortable or positive for your child? And identifying those things and really starting there and helping parents to see their strengths. We all have strengths. And so helping folks to see what those strengths are and then to build on those strengths as they parent. And so it's really just like starting, taking sort of a coming back in, grounding yourself. I really value practices of mindfulness, really getting sort of grounded in where you are, right? I often say to myself, where are your feet, Michelle, right? Like, where am I? And staying present, because the more present that you can be with your child, the more effective you can be as a parent and the more connected that you're going to be too. And so there's all this stuff happening in the world and it can feel chaotic, but really getting back to what it, what's happening with this child that's in front of me. What do they need from me right now? What can I offer them? How can we connect? And strengthening that and really starting there. And then that relationship, that connection is going to really empower them as and give them so many more coping skills and strengths as they move through the world. Yes. And I love that you mentioned coping skills with children, because one thing that comes up sometimes uh, on the show is this sort of like current generation, well, maybe previous generation, what we call like the everyone gets a trophy sort of generation, where somehow it became this thing where, you know, everyone gets a pat on the forehead for showing up and they all get a participation trophy. And I wonder what you think about that, because when I analyze it, I think that it creates a generation of children who can't handle rejection, a generation of children who believe that they uh, are supposed to receive something just for putting in, you know, for, for arriving. You know, and I don't think it's healthy. That's just my opinion, of course. I just don't think that's how the real world operates. So when you get a child who then has been from that structure, goes out in the real world and go, wait, I don't get a trophy for just showing up at my first job or, you know. So what do you think about that as a parenting expert? Yeah, I think that it is so important to acknowledge the effort 
and to help children to see that their effort, there's value in their effort. There's value in showing up every day to your practice, on time, participating, being a member of your team, encouraging your team members there and acknowledging that is so important to do. And so I don't, I think that it can be, You know, when we say if kids get participation medals, they're going to grow up to be adults who expect that. I don't think that it's so direct. I think that there is value in showing a child we don't necessarily have to rank everybody, right? It's not always a competition, right? We can work together and we can celebrate your effort. I think that there's it can be really important to do that because that's also sending the message that you are more than just your outcome. You are so much more than what you're able to produce. You don't only have value when you when you are number one. Number one, right? yeah. And so I think that it can be really valuable to show kids your effort, your participation, your encouragement. What kind of teammate were you? You know, what could, what is how your sportsmanship, see how that impacted and encouraged the other people that you're working together with. And so I do think that there's a lot of value in that. And I think that we can sometimes have our, you know, put a grown up lens on it and say, well, if they get this and they're going to grow up and they're going to think that there's a lot of space in between. And there's a lot of things that can happen between that. And when we're setting the foundation of helping kids to see there's value in you being consistent, you putting your effort into it and you showing up, you not winning and you still kept coming. That's important too. And I think that there's a really valuable lesson in that. Excellent. Amazing, enlightening information. And um, it's universal. It's not just, like we said, just not information that benefits parents. These are wonderful lessons that can benefit leadership in all aspects. So we really appreciate you sharing your perspectives today with us. Michelle Felder, psychotherapist and parenting coach and CEO of Parenting Pathfinders. Thanks so much for being here today on Motivational Mondays. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.